And here we are again. Beers. Beers. Hot American Summers. I haven't printed a single thing all week. I've been working on CAD for it, but I've, it's for that project where I'm doing parts, you know, functional parts and stuff. I haven't actually turned on the printer all week. That's a first. But it's not like I'm not using it, right? I'm, like, I'm working on that standing desk uh-huh. project still, so I'm actually learning a new... There is a program called OpenSCAD, and it's actually... Uh, you write code... Or it's a it's a procedural language, but instead of actually drawing blocks on a screen with a mouse and resizing them, uh-huh. you do it all in functions and stuff like that. And uh, for these function or these functional parts, it uh, seems like a good way to kind of keep things all aligned and centered and stuff like that. So I'm kind of working on learning that by redesigning parts I've already designed it in like a CAD program. It's a good idea, yeah. Yeah, so. So, what kind of improvements are you thinking to make of that machine? Uh, uh, so, on top, that little white thing with the ribbon cable, that's a runout sensor. I need to plug that into the Raspberry Pi and get that set up. Uh, short from the runout sensor? I'm good, man. I'm done modding the printer. I'm using it to make functional parts now for stuff. I mean, something might come along, but I'm happy. It's good. I mean, maybe I'll get the laser engraver like stuff for it. Laser engraver stuff? What is that? You can buy like a 2-watt laser or a 5-watt laser for it mm-hmm. and use the G-code to kind of have it. It can't really cut stuff all that well, but it can kind of scorch so you can use it for engraving, but not so much cutting. Uh, like the laser cutters, they the laser kind of vaporizes the material, and then there's a, a jet of air or CO2 or noble gas. I don't know what it is. The CO2, I guess. Or ar- argon? Maybe it is argon. But the, when the laser is vaporizing the stuff, it'll put a jet of argon through there to kind of do a clean cut. Obviously, I'm not going to do anything like that. Mm. And if you are trying to do, like, cutting paper with a laser without that kind of um, freeing-type air jet, you know, I'm not sure how good it's going to work anyway. Right. You definitely aren't cutting plywood or, you know, short, like, like the quarter-inch plywood or eighth-inch plywood stuff. What about nozzles? Are there new nozzles that you're interested in getting? <sighs> I got the hardened nozzle so I can... Well, maybe that's what I want to do next. So I bought a hardened nozzle so I can print the abrasive filaments. Glow in the dark. The copper impregnated stuff. Mm -hmm. I still got that sample of the copper impregnated filament that I haven't used yet. I think it'd be really cool to try to do one of the CBR coins with the copper filament. Yeah. But you could... The copper stuff, you can also weather. You can polish. So... It's like 50 bucks for a uh, half pound. Yeah, or, <laughs> not a half pound, not a half pound, half kilo. Half kilo. Mm-hmm. So a little over a pound. And uh, so it's like, it. if I have the right thing, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not too expensive, but it's also not 
nearly as cheap as plain filaments. So I need to figure out what I want to do with that kind of thing. They have uh, wood impregnated filaments that you can sand and stain and stuff like that. That also needs a hardened tip, but I already have that. So, you know, I can look at some of those materials. I don't know. I mean, it's, but that is like, you know, just get the right material for the project. The project I'm working now is on those functional parts for, I guess, monitor stand, standing desk type thing. And uh, I still got to get the springs to balance this monitor arm that I showed you last time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said, most of the week was spent learning that OpenSCAD, you know, (laughs) text-based programming CAD program. Or you say, you know, draw a circle, extrude it to a cylinder, place it here, that kind of thing. It's all functional you know commands and stuff so have you put any thought into what your next project after your articulated arm might be well it was going to be a whole standing desk setup after that project i'm not really thinking that far ahead mm. you know it'd be cool to do with like the copper filament would be the the indiana jones fertility idol with the opening scenes <laughs> <laughs> do that Get some gold, like get 24 karat gold filament. <laughs> that wouldn't be expensive. It might be cool at some point to get a, a dual head extruder. What you do, what you can do with that is you can have your like support material be dissolvable. Okay. So you, you have two filaments running the two different nozzles side by side. And the computer and the printer stuff can say, you know, print the object in the good material and print the support stuff with the dissolvable material. Now, everything that I print where my support material is the same plastic as the normal thing, you have to be able to manually remove the support. If you use dissolvable stuff, you can do things where the support is internal to the project. Like one of the things that I saw when I was at one of the um, 3D club, the one right after the, there was a big additive manufacturing conference in Pittsburgh called Rapid. And I went to the 3D printing clubs meeting when they were in town. And so some industry people came in and the guys from um, Matter Hackers were there. And they showed an example of like a a replica of like a miniature engine block Mm -hmm. with and they used dissolvable materials. So there was like voids or overhang, you know, things completely inside that you could not physically remove, but they removed it by dissolving the support material. Uh, so that's, you know, things you can do with like a two-head extruder. You could also do like a multicolored print, right? Mm-hmm. Where uh, a very common one that you see, I think it's a design of thingy versus it's kind of like a painted dark frog or something like that where the, you know, it, it switches between nozzles to do the stripes on the frog. Cool. But that's not, I mean, that's going to be like a, probably a $150, $200 upgrade to do something like that. And that's not really on the, it's not on the slate right now. Interesting quote. Uh, I don't know who said it. It's a quote. Knowledge is knowing the tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. 
Book learning versus cultural learning in some sense, but it's you know it, it, it's an important piece of I think yeah you know, it's a quote to talk about the dichotomy of just knowledge itself is not enough. Sure, I mean it's going around saying tomato is a fruit, tomato is not a vegetable. What's what's the function? What's the what's the value? Yeah, the value oh, is I know in- the taxonomy of. Right, the value isn't if you want to understand evolution and life and how that all works, then it's important to know the tomatoes, you know, come from an ovary and they have all the other, you know, things that are associated with being fruit. Is, They're is that berries, it? in fact. Is, is that it? Isn't it just English, really? Isn't it just how... No, no, the, the, the difference is English is not specific. The what I'm saying is, is specific, right? But t- going around spouting off that a tomato is a fruit, to me, that's a failing of the evolution of language, not the way you are going. Well, I don't know whether, me, it's a, whether it's a failing. Well, it's maybe failing is the wrong word, but you're it's talking. The fact that, it's the fact that language is different than uh, that language as a. As a form of so, communication okay. for for communicating abstract ideas, is or, or, okay. So here, okay, but here, here's one for you. Tomatoes taste more like vegetables than they do fruits. So that's why English well, and I mean, maybe well, other well, languages. Well, yeah. The the reason is because culinarily speaking, tomatoes are used as vegetables, whereas biologically right. speaking, col- right. you know, tomatoes are fruits. But I'm not saying, okay, so it's not a failing that that evolved that way. It evolved that way functionally. Right. And, okay, so I'm I'm leaning back to your side now. So the value in knowing that it's a fruit is looking at the evolution, the genetics of the object. Mm Mm-hmm. I would, I, would, sense, I, would, I would say wisdom is knowing not to be an asshole about it. <laughs> well, that, I don't know if, if, that, if that still applies because our current culture seems to appreciate assholes. Um, well. uh, because having the knowledge to know it's fruit means you know how to grow it. You know, you know the, the right conditions. You know, or at least you know better than that it, you, you plant it in the ground and and like you yeah, like you, a, like you, a tuber you. so it's but you don't grow it in the orchard you grow it next to your you know all your other vegetables you plant in the spring well i don't know i mean if you're in if you have a small garden you have a small garden yard, but right. if if you're growing if you legitimately want to grow tomatoes I don't know. Um, let's look at some of my notes here. So, okay, here's here's the thing that's... Uh, here's where I think maybe why I like... Okay, I'm brainstorming, but... Yeah. So tomatoes, corn, both fruits. fruits, but they don't have a woody stem that is perennial. Right? It grows from the ground every spring. 
Right. Where fruits, things that are colloq- you know, commonly fruits. Berries? Think- Berries come off bushes. They don't grow from the ground every spring. Strawberries might... Strawberries grow from the ground, but... Strawberry technically, blue- really. Blueberries yeah. don't. Cranberries... Cranberries don't, I don't think. No, not, all, not all fruits come from trees. I mean, there's... no, but no, I hear what you're saying. But uh, uh, growing a tomato and growing cabbage is a lot more the same than growing a tomato and growing an apple. Because I mean, it's about the the perennial, like like the the. Does the does the plant? I, I think that, does the plant that the fruit comes from list I, last year after no, year? No, I don't buy it because yeah, watermelon doesn't yeah. <laughs> doesn't last. Mel, any melon doesn't last. So okay, I was I was just spitballing. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I mean, I appreciate spitballing, but yeah, sometimes you know, brainstorming doesn't necessarily always lead to the right conclusion. No. Um, hmm. Okay, I, I withdraw that, but I think there might. I still say that maybe part of that angle led to the development of the language around these. There are exceptions. But if you look like the most popular, apples and tomatoes are near the top of those things in their own families. And the defining difference to me is that tomatoes grow from the ground, from the dirt every year, and apples grow from this thing that lasts for 20 years, 30 years. You know... That that's the point I was trying to okay, make. Okay, so I mean, you're, you're that, making a difference between right, whether the, that sculpted the. I, I, I think what you're what you're referring to, going back to biology, is there's a difference between droops and the other type of stuff. Like what you're talking about, mostly are droops, like apples and you know pears oh, and okay. stuff like that. So um, berries just grow differently uh, in general, and uh, melons are examples of berries. Eggplants, example of berries. Cucumber. Oh, sure. I, I understand what you're saying. So, I mean, other things that are, you know, where their stem matter doesn't disappear in the winter. Blackberries and raspberries don't disappear completely. Um, those are droops as well. Right. Blueberries yeah. don't, but those that's a real berry. That's a real berry. Um, mulberries are fucking trees so they're well that's a droop um uh yeah i'm, I'm defining yeah, after i think yeah. of the thing um raspberry or strawberry, strawberries come from the ground every year they don't and they're persist. not they're not berries nor are they droops the the yeah. fruits are the little seed things i, in the I understand that again wisdom knowledge and assholeness <laughs> we all know that well, tra- well <laughs> I, I think that for this case we're yeah. we're just we're discarding the assholeness because yeah. yeah. we're talking specifics anyway yeah, yeah. uh Corn. So let's see. Corn is it? I mean, all the corn. Corn is corn is like a strawberry, right? I mean, the stuff you eat is the in in some ways. I mean, oh no, because you're not eating the gorge stem. The gorge stem would be the the cob. The cob. Yeah. So you're eating the seeds are the fruits. Are they fruits or seeds? The corn. Believe they are fruits. Kernels. Yes, I believe so. So. Okay, so you because they have all the because they have internal 
stuff inside them, right? They have the endocarp and they have the stuff in them, so they have all the... So a strawberry seed is the fruit and there's a seed inside it? Or is that a seed? Boy, I don't know. I don't know. I know what you were saying, generally, the, the, the berry, the red thing is the engorged stem and the mm-hmm. seeds are the reproductive piece. But, you know, I'm just curious, and now we're digging into details. Whether, yeah, I don't know. Whether I, there is a structure inside the seed that is actually the seed. I think it might be the case that just strawberries are really very different. They're more like poppies in some sense. Oh, you just got clapping for that. <laughs> All right, I think about, I've exhausted my good arguments on that topic. All right, so let's see. Here's some Twitter drafts. I <laughs> mean, not, not actually tweets. Uh, comedians are very bad liars. Is the Twitter draft? It was more about the whole point about being a comedian is sort of going on stage and saying something, and then sort of revealing the the stuff behind that. So you do like a little bit of a lie, but then you sort of reveal the the lie. In some sense, I don't know if that totally follows. Yeah, probably good you kept that on a draft. Yeah, just a draft. The uh, so on Netflix, I watched the the newest Louis C.K. special. Have you watched the Dave Chappelle's? No, oh, you should. The Louis C.K. one was was weird. It was uncomfortable. It, it was almost like he was being you know not asshole but like inappropriate like like over the edge inappropriate just to to to, to own being over the edge inappropriate mm. yeah like you know like yeah but, I, I can't remember exactly but you know like he went too far with abortion he went too far with so i would recommend for you there are two dave Chappelle specials that are great and david Chappelle is i think the funniest working comedian he's so good on stage mm-hmm. he's so good and uh, there's a very recent sarah silverman one that I think you really I think enjoyed. I saw the Sarah Silver one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was... But the Louis C.K. one was... And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it was like, all right, I'm going to make jokes about abortion. You're going to groan, but I'm going to keep it up because it's comedy and that's what we do. But he wasn't particularly insightful or right. anything, yeah. right? You know, it was just kind of plowing plowing through to, to do his comedy on the groan-worthy topic. And he did it for a couple of different things. It was, it was like the worst Louis C.K. thing I've seen, actually. All right, some some more some sort of tweets. This is this is an actual tweet I sent out. Maybe you should have saved the draft. Uh, the force, in quotes, is <laughs> just saw. electromagnetism, and the people in Star Wars universe are just really really tiny. <laughs> but you can't control that with your will. Well, so. This came from me watching uh, a science, a pop science show try to explain lightsabers and essentially why they're, you know, ridiculously impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the assumptions were the, the, the required energy for something, you know, human size, that thing. Ridiculous. But if you make it incredibly microscopic, oh, yeah. then the required energy for those kind of interactions become less and less... Yeah, when I when I read that joke, yeah, the place I went was, I, I get it except for your will of being able to control it, you know, to, to amplify it or to lessen it, you know, <laughs> right? The 
That, that's where my brain went immediately right. when I saw that. Well, I mean, who knows if to to give a to give a very poor um, analogy here, but who knows if uh, the electric eel understands that it's doing an electric <laughs> charging or whether it just thinks it's its will to. <laughs> like maybe things that are really tiny have some chemical thing, but they conceptualize it as their will. But really, it's a chemical interaction they do that causes pot charges to. Oh, to okay. Sort of... But I was imagining this tiny little Jedi with Vanderwall's force, right? And uh-huh. but he can't necessarily turn it on and off by reaching, or you know, like... maybe they've evolved in in that galaxy far, far away to have the ability to do that. Like they have the ability to stack charges enough to make things huh? would move far away, which far away for them, but to us, it's yeah, you know, it, it, yeah. it's minor things. I mean. It, if they were really tiny, a lot of the physics becomes a lot more plausible, including how they can get around the galaxy so fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> how they can blow up a whole bunch of planets in one system. Like, the, the energy required to blow up things becomes a lot less. Like, it feels a lot more manageable. So, <laughs> I think if you, if you take that into consideration, they're just really tiny, then all the stuff, like, okay, yeah. Like, all the how stuff, tiny are we talking about? We're, we're talking... Um, Bacteria size? Probably smaller than that. Probably nanometer size, <laughs> right? Like, just barely above the size where atomic things start to resolve. It's a lot of complexity to shove in a tiny little place. Well... If you want to maintain, if if you, if you want there to be some some basis for the machines and abilities they have to work in a environment that is somewhat similar, I think that's the only realm you have in this universe that we know of where something like that could be considered to be possible. So just remember, whenever you watch Star Wars, it's a really, really, really tiny universe. <laughs> Super tiny. Does that explain why everyone knows everyone? It, I mean, I think that it's an interesting parallel. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it certainly doesn't explain why everything knows. Unless you assume that, that what we're doing is we have a microscope that's focused on a really tiny little... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the desert. So there was something I was thinking. Oh, yeah, there is a a thing that I was reading, which is just to me really, really cool. Um, and let me see if I can find the where some of the information about it because for the longest time people have been looking for violations of the standard model and, and have been proposing things outside of the standard model like string theory and loop quantum gravity and all this other stuff that you know, I've been poo-pooing. And part of the reason I've been poo-pooing it is because I feel like they're taking assumptions and piling assumptions on top of assumptions in order to get to these places. Which is fine mathematically, you can do that, but in terms of physics, you're supposed to be talking about the real world. Oh, I like this piano uh, version. <laughs> There is some evidence that's starting to pile up. It's not significant enough yet, but it's starting to pile up 
that there may be a you may have read something about this that, that physicists are starting to suspect a quote unquote fifth force what's happening is we're seeing violations of something called lepton invariancy and basically uh, according to the standard model electrons muons taus are all essentially the same particle just higher energy versions so they should all interact the same the only difference being they have more mass but there have been an increasing amount of experiments that seem to show based on that assumption that they're all the same particle with a certain amount of energy you should assume that when things collide there should be more of the lighter weight stuff less of the heavier weight stuff and even less of the heavier stuff but there seems to be an excess of some of the heavier stuff which would indicate that things are not decaying quite like they thought they were so the universe might care about leptons couldn't it be like a stable shelf or something like that well if that is the case and that's not covered in the standard model oh, okay so i mean that is the point like if there is some like to to the standard model that idea doesn't exist because there would it would imply a, another broken symmetry of some sort Okay. That is causing that broken symmetry, which would be a, that, and that broken symmetry would be its own force. It would have, you know, it, it would be a field that has, because it's a field, it would have characteristic quantum uh, force carrying particles, quote unquote, which are just the quantum of the field, and those would be a, the, a new force. So if there is something that creates a shelf of some sort, that is a new fundamental force right. that we don't know okay. about. Makes sense. So, probably, I mean, definitely, almost certainly unrelated in the detail you're talking about, but you know, you're so far ahead of me that I'm a layman at this point. Uh, elements in the universe. I, I, I've never seen anything that was like a composition breakdown of like how much hydrogen versus helium versus all the elements and whether there are shelves in atomic weights. Like, you know, things are more stable at, you know, like things are dropping sharper and then it, plateaus out at a certain weight. Oh, well, that, that kind of thing definitely exists. You just have to get sort of deeper into chemistry. I've, I've seen charts at that level. They're a little harder to read. Uh, a chart that's sort of similar to that that I actually just recently was looking at was about where the origin of certain elements, and, you know, like some come directly from one source, some come from a bunch of different sources, and, and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the okay. partial relations of where they come from. You know, most, most of them come from various different types of stellar interactions. Um... But, like, all the hydrogen in the universe came from the Big Bang. Nearly all the helium did. I mean, it probably makes sense. And this is just from my knowledge. But there's probably more carbon than lithium. Right? So it's not like it drops orderly. You know, it yes. has to do with right. there is more carbon. how reactive things are. And carbon is the third most abundant chemical in the universe. Behind hydrogen and helium? Mm-hmm. Or is it helium? Yeah. Yeah, so there's something stable about carbon that... Lithium, beryllium. Well, yeah, I mean, lithium, beryllium, they're very... Well, well lithium in particular... Well, of course, a, lithium, is, anything in the first row is super yeah, reactive. Yeah. Hydrogen's in the first row, so why hasn't hydrogen all reacted? But I guess it breaks down. There's so yeah. much of it. Because it's easy. Yeah, it's easy to make. It, yeah. It's the thing. You get a proton, hey, you have hydrogen. Yeah. Uh, 
That makes sense. What's atomic number five? I think. Uh, fuck. Uh, yeah, I can't think of it right now. <laughs> what is atomic number five? Boron. Boron. Pretty, pretty, uh, relatively rare, I think, actually, boron. Um, and, but then you have, like, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen. Very, very common. Right. Um, I, but the thing I want to see, the chart I want to see is kind of the columns of the periodic table and the atomic numbers as they increase and so what, what, what you want to see is is the is not not just the periodic table but also the various isotopes the the percentage of those isotopes that exist you know yeah, it's more itself, information and the percentage of that that's in the universe in total Right, is that, I mean, the isotope part really going to skew the results of that? Well, I mean, it, it would should... show you, like, okay, it would show you the, the various versions of this I mean, of, the, of this the periodic exists. table already shows you the the the, the, the majority or the, the, the average atomic weight, so you can already get that. Based on, uh, based on, uh... Universal abundance. Now yeah, I mean, we don't have to look it up live, but you know this I'm... is the abundance of the universe for elements. Okay, so start at hydrogen, helium. Uh, next is oxygen, and then so the spikes are oxygen. Well, it's just there's the. I mean, the spikes versus atomic number, right? Is the kind of thing I was looking for. Okay, so I like boobies in California. Hey, Smash Mouth was playing at the Regatta tonight. We missed it. Okay, so we have hydrogen, helium, helium, pretty unreactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, oxygen, carbon, neon, noble gas, unreactive. Iron, nitrogen, silicon, magnesium, sulfur, argon, unreactive. So you know the, the follow-up question is: What are the Nickel. what are the mechanics to make those so abundant? Why why are those more stable to be formed than the things beside them? You know that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not asking you for the answer. I'm just saying you know kind of the the thought experiment. You know, like and I'm sure a, a physics major, a chemistry major, can give me a quick and easy answer why. Well, the funny thing is, like I said, I, I was just reading something about is it. That, is so. it full outer shells? Is that the the, the thing or something? In terms like that? of what? Well, because when you have a, an element with a, a hole in it, it wants to attract an electron. Yes. Are are the 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 shelves the things with the full shells abundance wise? You know that you know that's kind of my. Oh my god, my my eleventh grade chemistry education, which I haven't thought of in you know twenty. Now you got to get into nuclear physics in order to understand sort of the abundance yeah. reason because yeah, yeah. that that is a different question. Yeah, that, you're right. You're right. Um, the and and it does sort of relate to. The but I mean, there's table. a pressure, right? There's a pressure to to you know that more of something's going to be formed than the thing beside it. 
in terms of if you're talking about like a selection pressure of some sense, yeah, there's an environmental pressure of 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 the universe prefers things to be in in lower energy states. So it's going to. But if that was true, then it would be linear from atomic number, right? So there's something no, else it, that makes. Well, there's yeah, there's some. It's not just that, but yeah, the, it, that's not the only consideration. Right. But there are reasons for why these certain things occur. Like, why is oxygen so easily formed? Right. Uh, okay, so why is oxygen so easily formed? I think it has to do with the ease of the process of fusion inside stars to create oxygen. Because um, the... Uh, and I have to look into the, that itself. I know I have looked... I have read Especially this. Especially since oxygen is so reactive and goes away. Right. Well, well I mean, it's not... I mean... So keep in mind that the so there, there's a if you, if you look at the the graph for for like oh I guess elemental oxygen is goes away right it forms into CO two or something but it's still there's still oxygen atoms yes. so okay I yeah. misspoke okay yeah, the creation of, of oxygen is easy elemental oxygen is go yeah rare. reactive very reactive but the creation of oxygen through fusion is a, a very easy path for stars to take to create energy. Uh, compared to say the uh, you know uh, creating iron, which is the 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 worst, or it's just the last step before it becomes you have to put in energy to get more energy out. Um, but all you know, all those steps are are are, are harder. Uh, and there's a lots of helicopters, <laughs> right? We get a bunch of hospital helicopters, life flights going by, but man, that's a, that's a high frequency tonight. <laughs> Uh, rate of fusion. Rate of fusion of... Okay, so so here's what I was missing. Is, is this a true statement? When you're fusing things together, they, especially when you're starting with hydrogen, it, it can't make everything in between. It makes certain things and certain... Um, Intervals and yeah, then so things th- decay down example, into all the in betweens, or you have to have a certain interaction to get the bismuth. Yeah, as an example, like this is the hydrogen to helium sequence, and it's not a one step thing. These things has to happen for it mm-hmm. to occur, which is you know, there's essentially uh, there's kind of a, f- a three step process to make to make helium. Requiring a bunch of interactions. Well, what I was trying to say, and these numbers are made up off the top of my head, but it could be something along the lines of it's a three or four step process to make oxygen, but a seven step process to make beryllium because it has to build up and then decay or something like that. Mm. I mean, is that kind of other than me making the numbers up? Does that sort of, but this is more complicated. This is the so called CNO cycle where this carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen are being created in the infusion in stars. Okay. And you can see there's a just it it's a it it's more complicated than it is simple. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the, the best I can do okay. <laughs> without because I don't really know the, the subject. Right. I I know just enough to, to be dangerous by by sort of asserting things sure. that aren't true. Um but I think, I mean, I, at least the aspect of... This is the one I was talking about. This is the periodic table based on where they come oh, from. Okay. So, for example, boron is created 100% from cosmic ray fusion. Fission. Fission. 
and uh, so is uh, beryllium. But lithium has uh, 23% was created in Big Bang, 13% cosmic ray fission, 64% dying low-mass stars. All right, so let's look at the trends on this table, right? And So you see these dying low-mass stars... Lithium, carbon, and neutron, and 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 nitrogen. nitrogen. But there's and also that skips, weird island. And then it skips yeah. way down. Yeah, there's that weird island down there by uh, ytterbium and molybdenum. And I mean, that, that's I the, thing, the interesting thing is, is is that the the after nitrogen, the next low mass star thing to come up is strontium. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it, at thirty eight. So it's like it's it's really interesting that the rat in the middle between that bunch of exploding high it, mass. It's stars. also really weird that it doesn't. So like low mass stars, you would think like not a very energetic uh, interaction. And sure, it's most of carbon, most of nitrogen, over two thirds. But then you know for strontium, it's like eighty five percent. In ytterbium, it's like ninety-two percent. Well, the, the question, of course, is 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 what does low mass mean precisely here? Oh, right? sure. <laughs> but I mean, you there. It's like not the chart doesn't show a trend, and that could be a sign of a bad chart. But it, well, the, the the chart doesn't necessarily show a trend because the chart is arranged like the periodic table. Yeah. Not arranged in terms, but of the periodic shells. table is arranged by shells and the periodic table is arranged by the the number of well, atomic protons. weight, but the columns are significant too. Yeah, but but the point is, you can't take one chart, adapt it to another chart, and easily show that that one trend right. from 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 a certain process necessarily right. makes this chart valuable right. for that process. No, that's true, but the periodic table is. Valuable for it's a multi it's a multi-dimensional chart though. Yes, uh, I I totally agree. You get but properties it, of chemi- you know, but, chemical interactions from it. But too. the properties are about interactions, not about production. Yes, it has nothing to do with nuclear physics, other than the fact that it's the atomic weight. The atomic weight, yeah, the atomic number. Sure, it really has everything to do with with uh, with electro with electrodynamics. <laughs> Yeah, so the, those green ones, the low ma- dying low mass stars, like it's, it seems willy nilly. I would love to see someone take the chart and show how there's a trend there, right? Like, like what do you have to do? How do you have to visualize this to show it to make sense? Why lower energy interactions are so spread out? Like, what's the common denominator that makes these things more likely in cadmium than right beside it in, in gold? Yeah, and I have no answer. Or no, AU is gold. What's AG? AG is silver. Silver. Or okay, go down to gold. Right, lead is very is over fifty percent in low mass stars, and gold is nothing. Or is there a little line at the top? There's right? a little, little bit. Yeah, a little bit at the top. Yeah. Well, gold's really, really heavy. Uh, but lead's even heavier. But lead, there's a, the fusion process leads to lead, yeah, and titanium right beside it is even more, you know. But yeah, like f- fusion is the end ends at lead. The end of stellar fusion is at lead. Um, and 
there's still me. There's still stuff going on here, but most of these I think are from our process and in, in when they explode, as opposed to uh, in in these. Um, uh, what is it, what's that line called? Not alkan alkanides, but the first line that that's torn yeah. out of the periodic table. It's been a while since I'm I've done. Yeah, it's like alkanides and lanthanides or something yeah, like that. Yeah. That's an interesting. I like the table. I just would like to see a, a revised version that, that actually puts a trend on it. Yeah. And doesn't make it look so random. And that's it. It's it's all about visualizing the data in a way that mm-hmm. brings out the patterns. Yeah. And this visualization is interesting, but it doesn't... Other than finding like small islands of things that are stuck together, it doesn't explain. Right. But again, that's because this table was originally designed for a totally different purpose. Oh, sure, sure. So... It's just... It's fascinating. Okay, so on that statement, the most fascinating thing to me is that the atomic weight isn't the defining factor of where it comes from. Right. Like, because you would figure the the six categories on there, Big Bang Fusion, Dying Low Mass Stars, Exploding Massive Stars, mm-hmm. Cosmic Ray Fission, Merging neutron stars and exploding white dwarves. Okay, so after reading them out loud, my my assumption may not be accurate. My assumption was these are distinct energy levels or something. Because also I, I built upon, well, it would make sense that you need more energy to make heavier things. That's what we hear, right? Gold comes out of supernovas and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, or merging neutron stars, which is where most of gold comes from. Um, I didn't know neutron stars merged. I didn't know that was a. I didn't know that was a notable uh, event. Lots of lots of shit going on in galaxies. Oh, there. sure, shit going on. But have you ever heard about elements being created by neutron stars merging? Yeah. No, you hear about supernovas. Not you. <laughs> Not you. The Not the me. the average nerdy basically science literate person yeah pop science doesn't talk about that too much i agree yeah they talk about supernovas making all the heavy shit supernovas are big explosions they they make the heavy shit our process not not emerging neutron star i don't even know what that's called or what that looks like um it's a very energetic event very energetic doesn't sound like one Imagine two things that are really close to being black holes collapsing into each other, and because of that collapse, bigger than a supernova in some sense. It's it's a more energetic. I've type never of heard about it till just now. Did I miss? Did I? Well, there the you right know there are various of types of supernova, right? Uh. Yeah, I just thought it was based on the size of the star that burned out and blew up. So here's the classification for types of supernova. Um, You have your type uh, 2A. You you have your type 1A. It's been a while since I've done cosmology here, too. It's not important, but... My point was, you always hear about supernovas making the heavy shit, 
And it looks like this merging neutron star thing makes more of the heavy shit than supernovas do. Um, a lot of the like the the type uh, type one A supernovas are are the the so called standard candles. Those are mm-hmm. the white dwarves that uh, accrete mass from uh, from their companion star and then reach the Sarenkov uh, limit and. Or sorry, Chandra Descartes limit and blow up. Um, but there are type. There are other type non-standard type one A's. There are type twos. There are type threes, four and five. Uh, all different types of supernova that come from various things. So uh, maybe I wasn't aware that um, supernovas. Could come from merging events. I thought, it, you know, when you hear about a supernova, it's about you got a big hot blue star that burns out and goes. It goes supernova. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't hear about the star's gravity sucking matter from, uh, you know, stripping a companion star to to make it go supernova. You don't hear about that or merging neutron stars. It's yeah. not something that that's brought up. But... And part of the reason, I think, is because the, the, even to think about those sorts of things requires you, trying to put your mind into an energy regime that's so outside of what we're experiencing. I, I disagree. I mean, I, I, I think it's a fault of pop science to say that, you know, that, I, that it's not known that these, you know, the, I mean, emerging neutron star, the thing that it outputs is that fall into the definition of a supernova. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a core collapse. It, it's a supernova. supernova. Yeah, yeah. I f- I'm angry. This is like when I learned about um Okay, this is interesting cuz cuz this is like is... when I learned about the orbitals in chemistry and then 2 years later they taught me about shells. You know, it's This is interesting cuz I, I did actually want to bring this up. I totally forgot about this topic. You shouldn't be angry because one of the things that I notice when I start to talk to you about very specifics of things, your eyes start to gloss over because I'm starting to tell you very, very specific things and you, your mind isn't prepared to, to appreciate things on that level. It hasn't gone through. Usually doing it after I've had a bunch of beers too. So, <laughs> Sure, but... The, I, I hear you. The the wider point is that you know I I used to kind of you know way back when sort of agree with you. Yeah, they should tell us more. But now I'm thinking, no, give the basics. Make sure that's understood. Then show where the basics fails. Right. Give the 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 rules and then show where the rules break down. <sighs> okay. Yes, but you would say that. In, in the science literate, you know, percentage of America, where would I rank? I, I'd rank fairly high, except for professionals. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. And me... You are, you are very... You are... Uh, I would say... You, I would count you in the top, say, 20% in terms of science literacy. Right. And this whole notion of supernovas being more than... Stars burning out, not being apparent to me. Well, again, fundamentally, it's about that concept, but it's just the ways in which that can happen. They're expansive, and and they're not. 
Right, but I'm saying it's a disservice that those have not been covered in the things that I've consumed, learned. This is the talk. Pluto problem in some case, in some sense, right? Every, everyone got fucking upset when people said, you know what, Pluto kind of doesn't qualify as a planet uh, because we never had a definition of a planet before. And then once we just said, you know what, let's make a definition. We're starting to find a whole bunch of objects in our solar system. So let's make a clear definition for what a planet is. Then we realize, you know, Pluto doesn't really fit. I mean, if you want to get specific, I don't know if Mercury, Earth, Venus, and Mars fit into a good definition of planet based on the other objects that are probably more, um, more, it's certainly more influential in the solar system, right? I mean, the only reason Earth has a has its place, but it's a really small piece it just happens to him well it's it's kind of like the so the the uh aau it's kind of like the brewers association (laughs) right they have a uh they have a horse in that game they gotta make sure that earth is a planet and the other small rocky bodies are yes yeah yeah i mean they now the other rocky bodies do have uniqueness to them which is that they do have their you know orbits cleared out that is something that is the case well right just like being less than 25% owned by a non-macro brewer. But each of the the, the planets, I mean, you know, Earth and Mars are, are, are pretty pretty massive for, for rocky planets. They're, they're on the, they're not the most massive types of rocky planets, but they're on kind of the cusp uh, before stuff becomes the, the sort of ice giant type things. And it might be the case that if you brought like a Uranus in and, and and it lost all of its atmosphere it might be a rocky sort of super earth or something like that uh but so so there is that kind of understanding of the dynamics and if earth, if earth was far out or venus were far out it would probably be an ice giant right it might have collected a giant atmosphere right um so it's there, there there's something to that but also like the earth if Jupiter experienced a major perturbation, then Earth would, then all the inner planets would be fucked up. <laughs> because just Jupiter being like perturbed a little bit fucks up everything. Jupiter is big enough to do that. Saturn is basically big enough to do that too. Uh, so, but Earth, if it was perturbed slightly, wouldn't really have a major effect. Uh, I understand what you're saying, but like, what kind of event would actually perturb Jupiter? That'd be like close encounter with a black hole that was moving fast. To the system. I better get my uh, prepper shake. <laughs> not it would not take, because society's going to break down, but because I'm worried it would about take black hole flying by Jupiter. hundreds to thousands of years, and and we would see it coming anyway. <laughs> but I mean, the, those kind of things, right, uh, are not out of the question. That's how we get to another star system. We perturb Jupiter to eject us from the solar system. No, I told you how we get to another star system. We shrink ourselves so we're really, really tiny. (laughs) But we we get ourselves ejected in a three-body interaction with Jupiter. (laughs) Hold on tight. Here we go. Why do you think we would ever encounter another star? There's a lot of stars out there, man. Not really. Not (laughs) not if... I I know, I know. I know. I'm teasing. This is a whole joke thing. I just want to make sure 
for those people who don't who, who aren't on that twenty percent level like you are, well, that, that there is you know that no actually getting kicked out is is not going to help us. No, we'd be <laughs> dead before we get very far. Yeah, and we get cold fast. Mm-hmm. There still would be um, the uh, stuff going on in in the core, right? Those uh, radioactive elements decaying, so there still would be heat coming from somewhere. We have to dig way underground and get our resources from that and uh, evolve into creatures that did not take nearly as much uh, energy. Yeah. Humanity, as we understand it, is over. Just cut that piece out and just play it right, all by itself. (laughs) It does... uh, we're, 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 I don't want to go too long, but there there was an interesting thing that was brought up, which uh, in, in a discussion I was having, where they're talking about how um, in a post-apocalypse society, so you might appreciate this, uh, the reestablishment of industrialization will be really hard to do. Because of the lack of easily available energy sources. Yes, we've, I, I, I've talked about this before. Oh, we've mined all the easy shit. Um, you know, once the apocalypse happens, the most valuable places to mine, the easiest place to mine, are be landfills. Right. So that's why I question that aspect because there should be plenty of stuff to at least start basic industrialization. Now, the other question though is availability of energy sources. Coal and oil are certainly not as easy. Mm-hmm. But if you, I think that there is a, a lack of thinking in this because here's my argument. If you consider the beginnings of, of industrialization and then you ignore what they actually were and just the drives to industrialize. So the reason why we went for oil and coal is because they were available and cheap. And we understood the process. Let's say that some knowledge survives and we know how to do things from nuclear stuff. Uh, Then we could easily develop a whole bunch of nuclear plants pretty quickly. And if you don't have to worry about externalities, like the first coal plants certainly didn't care about polluting and externalities and shit. Right. And you can just produce a lot of nuclear plants where you don't care that the whole area you're producing them is going to be a wasteland forever. You can produce a lot of energy from there. If you start could, if you if you start we with the assumption get enough refined uranium or actually refine uranium in this reboot world. But remember sounds... I'm I'm assuming that we have some knowledge that that's less sure. uh the other I thing you need centrifuges, you need you need a lot of shit to make the uranium. So unless you find a stockpile. Well the I mean you're talking about really Good reactors. I'm talking about just fucking making a big reactor. You well, it's can't, unrefined you can't stuff. take uranium ore out of the ground and react it. You sure, you to... can. There, there, there have been natural nuclear reactors on Earth before. Ones that like heat the water to like a nice 110 degrees, or actually turns it into steam. Actually turns it into steam. Okay. Yeah. There have been functional fission reactions that that were natural on Earth before humans ever came around. Man, the re- 
you're you're head of HR for the the neo nuclear. Well, I, I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> you got to keep a staff of new people coming because they're going to be croaking left and right because how are you going to keep the radiation from kill poisoning? Well, that, that's just one option. What about geothermal? Right. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the reasons why we haven't explored geothermal is because the other sources of energy are, are so cheap. If we needed that energy, we would definitely go for geothermal stuff because mm-hmm. there's a lot of energy there. Sure. So it's not the case necessarily. It's only the case if you consider that civilization must evolve around yeah. the same path. Well, you're talking, yeah, right. As I was just going to say, you're talking about rebuilding society from the same raw materials with a similar uh, path of discovery. Mm-hmm. But the shit they're mining, they're being able to mine rare earth magnets mm-hmm. out of hard drives. Hard drives, yeah, exactly. That's what I was, was come up with things like that, but yeah, they're gonna be mining the junk piles, the landfills, but not the landfills, the the housing developments, mm-hmm. the you know, the copper wire. I mean, all, there's gonna be plenty of stuff available. Um, this is funny. I had an idea the other day, and I'm sure it's been done, but a sci-fi book or movie where it's like kind of set in. A recognizable society of you know 20th century America, but then it's discovered that everything we've built our society upon is second generation civilization, mm-hmm. but it wasn't apparent right away. That that's that's the end of my screenplay right there. I mean, but, <laughs> I, I I don't want to disappoint you. That's not a new idea. I, I no no. Yeah. As soon as I thought it. You were talking about a game that was like that, right? The what came well, Horizons Zero Dawn is is yeah. it, it, it's not our level of so it's not 20th century stuff, but it is it's a more tribal right. affair. But it's but I mean, built but on the, the as soon as I thought of that it felt a little bit Planet of the Apes. It felt you know I knew it wasn't yeah. a new idea, yeah. But I did come up on the idea on my own. I'm not saying I, I didn't, no, and that's, and I that, didn't that's write cool. a screenplay, right? Right? No, I'm just saying like. It, I mean, every idea has been thought of in, in, by somebody, right? right? So, but the thing I was thinking about was like thinking about like my world today, and like how could that actually there be a re- revelation that like everything that looked to us like raw materials was actually a byproduct of a previous aliens, sense. motherfucker, right? Ancient right, aliens. But that was that was the stem the seed of my idea was yeah. the stuff to us that we think is raw materials is actually a byproduct. You yeah. know, how, like how how could you work that into a story? Well, it, it actually is kind of an old fifties movie sci-fi movie standby that you know you 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 start in some desolate uh thing and and they eventually find out that oh it's it's the it's a it's a world that was built on a on a post nuclear world you know so it's mm-hmm. like eh, i mean there's a lot of stuff on that and and most of it you know because it's it most of it was shitty but there were a few that you know had good as soon as I had the idea, I'm like, I'm sure there's dozens <laughs> of these. I did not think it was. Yeah, I did. No, and, and, and the point is not necessarily the idea itself, but just how well the idea is presented. Yeah. Right? I didn't call my agent and say, "We're moving to California." I mean, to give you a, an, a, you have an agent <laughs> to give you a, a, another sort of way of thinking about this. Um, I, as I explained in the pre-show, I am super, super excited for this week's episode of Rick and Morty. Pickle Rick, where Rick turned himself into pickle. That is the stupidest fucking idea I can possibly imagine. Right? That is not a good idea. That is a dumb fucking idea. 
Guy turns himself into a pickle. Part of what I love about Rick and Morty is taking a dumb idea, either an well, overused idea. He admits idea, in the trailer that yeah. he did it just because. Yeah. Because Take, he could. <laughs> taking either a dumb idea or an overused idea or something like that and mining it for where there's a decent story and there's decent something. There's a decent thing to, to grasp. See, when you showed me that preview, I thought it was a joke preview. Maybe, maybe the real promo for the show, but not the plot of the show. Uh-huh. So that, that's what I thought. Well, there will there because it, it's, it's a hilarious thirty second pl- promo. Uh-huh. Now, if they can make it a, a hilarious thirty minute show, well, I will bow. I, I will tell you from, that I know enough that it's the A story of the show. It's not the you know the entirety mm-hmm. of the show. So there is a B story going along, where I believe it's. And there's, I'll show you the other. There's a bit of promo that is from the episode, but has nothing to do with Pickle Rick except for mentioning that it's happening. Is it Mr. Poopy Butthole? No, it is not Mr. Poopy Butthole. Which reminds me, have you seen the new Thor trailer? No, Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, you should see it. Um, where is it? Where are we? No, no, no. Give me a second. Pickle Rick! A pickle Rick! Uh, no. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Yeah. Smith family, I'm Dr. Wong. Come on in. What was the sign before she flipped it over? Uh, courage. (laughs) And then she switched it to dedication. I was told there was a grandpa that might be joining us. He got wrapped up in an experiment. Um, He's a scientist. Like, legit. Like, on an intergalactic sci-fi level. His work is very... He turned himself into a pickle! Morty, Mom's talking. I'm sorry. I suppose that's a good segue into our little discipline cases here. Does Grandpa turn himself into a pickle a lot? What? No! What kind of question is that? The kind that wasn't designed to attack or hurt you in any way. Oh, Jesus Christ. One of these... No, my father has never turned himself into a pickle before. He's unpredictable and eccentric. The whole family is. Speaking of which... Okay, let's open things up to the whole family and let me ask this. Why do we think Grandpa turned himself into a pickle? (laughs) Observation, bitch. Right, so there's a a meta-reality about... There's a... There is... You guy turns himself into a pickle, but there is the fact that his family has to deal with. He turned himself into a pickle. <laughs> is it a kosher dill? Is it a sweet? Looks like a kosher dill. Yes. <laughs> All, right. All right. What date is that air? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, wow, Game of Thrones and Pickle Rick. Mm-hmm. Pickle Rick!